Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, bro. It's Russo'sBrand.com. Get the real shoot for the most controversial personality in pro wrestling, Vince Russo. Stevie Richards Fitness. Hey, don't you think it's time for a band new you? Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and join the SRF resistance today. ProWrestlingTees.com. Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talent worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and support indie wrestling today. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Wednesday, February 19th, 2020, and you are tuned in to HTM Sports here, presented by the HTM Podcast Network Online, hitting the marks.com and Hameen Media Online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who still takes calls from his mommy. He's the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to HTM Sports. It's been a while. I was going to say, let me see if I can remember how to do this. Uh, so let's see here. It's me, it's me, it's that order, the beat of the beat. Rick Vickery back again. Hashtag HDM Sports. Feels good to be to be back in the sports studio. Jargo, I know you've been keeping it up, keeping the flow going. You and you and Stevie on the other side of the show, hitting the hitting the offseason, hitting the Super Bowl, everything that you got going on. Love everything you got going there. But hey man, I've been looking forward to sitting down with you and rapping about you know everything that's going on in the world of sports is prepping for this show. It, you know, it really dawned on me. When it comes to the sports world, I don't think I'm necessarily so invested anymore in actually what happens in season. It's about all this off season and off the field, off the court drama. You know, that it's almost, it's it's larger than life than pro wrestling in a sense. And I think that's what I'm really starting to love. Yeah, it's certainly getting to that point. Uh, we're we're going to talk some NBA today. We do have a little bit of NFL that we got to talk about. We got to talk about the cheaters in baseball. XFL is out there. We haven't had a chance to talk about that at all. And then we've got delusional Conor McGregor thinking that he's the athlete of the decade. And uh, and we've got a big fight to talk about this Saturday night. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, Conor too? Mayweather. Or was it May? Oh yeah, you're right. It was Mayweather. It wasn't Conor. Hell, they're they're basically the same person at this point. I I, I did well when you when you said it there. I said, hey, I I could see Conor throwing his name into the hat there, but it, it was Mayweather. I know we're going to get there, so I guess I'll hold on. But he but he thinks that he should have been not just the last decade, but the last two decades. Yeah, because, you know, he's money. Uh, but I guess we got to start with All-Star Weekend this past weekend, Huckleberry. Uh, we, we got to see the NBA take center stage, put all the All-Stars out there. Team Giannis versus Team LeBron. We had the skills competitions. We had Kawhi Leonard winning the Kobe Bryant MVP award. It was just an absolutely crazy weekend for the NBA in Chicago. I guess we'll start things off with the Mountain Dew three-point challenge. Sacramento guard Buddy Heald winning the stupid thing. 27 out of a possible 40 points, besting Devin Booker with a 26. Rick, the three-point competition, as much as I love the dunk contest, I've never been able to get into the three-point competition, at least not since, like, Larry Bird. 
Really? Yeah. yeah. I like it. You know, I like, I like the long one. I thought maybe that'd be something, you know, with us being, you know, such Duke fanatics, you live and die by that three. So this is something that I've always enjoyed there. I was, a, I felt a little let down this year. I, I thought the shooting was a little subpar, uh, you know, looking for a little higher score there, but it, overall, you know, when it comes to the NBA all-star weekend and, and I, I know how you feel about all-star weekends or events, Jargo, you just wish they go away. I, I take them for what they are. You try to find a little bit of that enjoyment in them. So inside the NBA, where it's at for me, is the skills competition Saturday night. So I, I was locked into this thing, absolutely uh, enthralled with it. Said, wish it was a, a you know a little better out, a little performance, uh, but I was still invested in the thing. And then we also had the dunk contest with Derek Jones defeating Aaron Gordon 48-47. Rick, I think this is kind of my problem with this, especially the NBA All-Star game. Does anybody know who Buddy Heald is? Does anybody know who Devin Booker is? Derek Jones Jr., Aaron Gordon? Like, nothing to take anything away from any of these guys because they're all much better basketball players than I am. But wouldn't this be far more entertaining if you had guys like Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard in the dunk contest? You know, if we actually would have saw Zion in it, if LeBron had ever done a dunk contest over the course of his 17-year career. Like, the biggest name that was in the dunk contest this year was Dwight Howard, and that's only because he won it a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, it was the nostalgiac, you know, it's you know, of a sorts of, you know, staying and Undertaker coming back or, you know, when Shawn Michaels came back to the ring, you kind of had that sort of vibe with it there. And I think, you know, there's so much emphasis when we talk about these all-star games and the focus on the game itself. You know, to me, as I was saying, you know, for the enjoyment aspect for me is inside like the skills competition. When we go to baseball, it's about the home run derby, right? Uh, football just really doesn't have anything. Well, even with football, when they tape their skills competition and then they'll run them the next year before the season gets going, you know, that's what people are more invested in. I think where the focus needs to be shifted away from improving the game itself, because I mean, that is what it is. You know, that's a spectacle inside of itself. But you need to focus on bringing more star power during your all-star events, these extravaganzas, to these skills competitions. And, and what we've seen, you know, you go back in the day, you know, what really brought us to basketball, think about the, the dunk competitions back then with, with Jordan and Dominique. It's hilarious that you bring those two guys in particular up, considering that Dominique got screwed in Chicago by Michael Jordan, should have won the damn dunk contest. I was going to say, you know, history tends to repeat itself here. And that's, I, had to, <laughs> I went to it. But think about the pride between those two and what it meant to go out there and own that competition. And then as everything kind of continues to evolve, you see the game expanding, you see these contracts and so the, the importance towards the financials and these agents kind of getting their hands in there and muddying everything up. They're afraid, you know, if you're a LeBron, if you're uh, a Seth Curry, any one of those individuals, you know, of that level, if you're even subpar, you know, you're just on that next tier or whatever. If you go out there and you fall short, what does that mean towards your your overall impact and your value? There's, I think there's too much emphasis on that. Instead of just going out there and and having fun with it, representing the sport, and really energizing these, as I said, these extravaganzas, these all-star festivities, that's what they need to get back to. They need to focus on encouraging more participation from the upper echelon. 
my favorite thing about All-Star Weekend this year was the Futures game um, or the Rising Stars game, whatever they want to call it these days. Because, Rick, that turned into more of a dunk contest than the actual dunk contest did. For about the last two minutes of this game, it literally became Zion Williamson and John Morant just having a dunk contest for, like, the last two minutes of this game. And I don't think either one of them even made a dunk. Yeah, I mean, it to me, it was, you know, it was just more of a glorified AAU game. It basically or, was. You know, and I did like how that I like how they presented this too. You know, you've got the U.S. versus the world, so it, it gives you a reason to really kind of get behind these teams instead of just rooting for the faces of the league and all that. And what's good about it is, where I don't know if it would work for you know the Sunday night game, the the main attraction, the All Star game there, if you did USA versus World, because you're going to see the same players every year. With this one, these rising stars, pretty much we're seeing you know they're cycling through. So you have fresh faces and it's kind of fun, you know, and that is somewhere where you can, you get to learn and you hear about some of these names and I will put over a little bit, but I don't think maybe they, they went to the lengths that they should have when you're talking about these, these lesser towns, I don't want to say lesser towns, but the, un, the unknown that are participating in the three points or the slam dunk, this would be so it'd be very cool you know, to like a wrestling aspect to bring in these vignettes, those promo packages to introduce you to some of those talents so that the world could take notice of them. I don't know how we get it done, but one way or another, we need John Morant and Zion Williamson to play on the same team together. Those two guys are absolutely ridiculous. I guess they actually played AAU ball together, which makes a lot of sense why they had so much chemistry. But Rick, the one that really, really got me there was a play where they drive John Morant down to the right side of the lane and he throws the ball to Zion on an alley-oop between his legs, like with his left hand in a circular motion, throwing the oop to Zion, and then Zion just wrecks the rim. I mean, that was kind of like a synopsis of this entire Rising Stars game. I don't know how we make it happen, but we need John Morant to get traded to New Orleans so we can see that like at least three days a week. Hey, if you know if they're hoping to build that that next great dynasty down there, <laughs> the, the league might be forcing something. I, that's what I expected with Lonzo and Zion. Like that, that's truly what I expected the New Orleans Pelicans offense to look like. Is what we saw on that Rising Stars game. Absolutely ridiculous. One fifty one to one thirty one. One of those two kids is going to win the Rookie of the Year. Um, Rick, I know we're both Duke homers. We want Zion to win this award. But I think John Morant's going to win this award, and I think John Morant deserves to win this award. That kid's playing out of his freaking mind. He's got Memphis as a playoff team. Well, you know, for Morant there, it, he absolutely has earned, you know, he's going to he's going to have earned, uh, you know, the honor to be the rookie of the year. And I think you got to, and a lot's going to play on that too, you know, because of the limitations that were in the handcuffs that are being placed on Zion. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, you can't miss the first half of the season. And then come back and win Rookie of the Year, right? Like, that, that right. just can't happen. Absolutely. And especially, and as you said, you know, the most impressive thing there is we're talking about what's going on in Memphis. <laughs> Where, I mean, this team, no one was talking about them no, in the preseason. Of, they've already exceeded their win total that Vegas had laid out for them for the entire season. Before the break. Yeah. I mean, props to you, John Morant. Props to you. That kid is freaking amazing. And 
it's interesting because Ja is one of these people that it's like, my God, it sucks that he's playing in Memphis, right? Because nobody wants to watch the Memphis Grizzlies. And that brings us to the Sunday night game. Team LeBron defeats Team Giannis, 157-155. Kawhi Leonard named the Kobe Bryant MVP award winner. Chris Paul just playing out of his mind. But Rick, when it comes to Ja Morant, when it comes to Giannis Antetokounmpo, these guys got to get out of these small markets. Like, is Giannis ever going to be the star in Milwaukee that he would be in a Los Angeles or a New York or a Dallas, a Chicago, a Houston? Like, some of these small market teams, it, it just seems like they don't even stand a chance. Like, I would love to watch more John Morant, but I'm not going to watch the Memphis Grizzlies. And a lot of that, you know, this is an issue that's, you know, overall facing the league is how you how do you provide some diversity Hell, you know, right now, let's look at it. What three of the four best players in the league are all in hot markets, warm weather destinations? Yeah, you know, it, you don't want to be down there in in Memphis, Tennessee this time of year. You want to be out there on the left coast, right? Clearly, it's sunny and sunny in seventy. Uh, and that's why you're seeing, you know, this this move west where you've got these hotbed cities. These you know, these stars are grouping up here to you know to kind of bring everything they can to stack their deck. Uh, stack their hand as they're getting ready to to show and especially in the east i mean you're seeing that that driven away and you're losing that diversity throughout this league and it, you gotta believe when you look at the overall numbers of the nba i think that the the true impact of the league is greater than it's ever been but widespread it, it's very weak at this point yeah clearly and we're already hearing it kind of start rearing its head with Giannis. um Giannis came out and made a comment the other day that in a couple of years, he would love to play with his brothers, you know, whether it be in Milwaukee or whether it be in Los Angeles. Well, Giannis has two brothers, one of which is in the Milwaukee Bucks system. The other one is already in the Lakers system. You can bet that that was not done on accident. But of course, now people are just losing their minds thinking, oh, it's clear now. Giannis is going to leave Milwaukee and he's going to L.A. He's going to go out there and pair up with LeBron and Anthony Davis and just stop. Just, just everybody just calm down, especially these international players. They don't think like us filthy freaking Americans. All right. Like, I think that Giannis needs to get the hell out of Milwaukee if he wants to be a global star. But Rick, can you think of any of these international players that have ever had a high-profile team move? It just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, but I think you know if we're talking about the evolution of the game, and now where you are seeing more and more, where it's that trend each year of these these high-impact, your marquee players, your true stars within this league, they are moving around more, and that is going to trickle throughout. You know, if you are. You know, an American grown up and you, you've seen this league from inside out or you're coming from the outside, you're going to adapt and you're going to assimilate to that style. And going back to what I was saying here, you know, it's a winter sport. Who the hell wants to be in Milwaukee right now? Who the hell wants to be in Milwaukee even when the weather is nice? You ever been <laughs> yeah. to Milwaukee? My God. I, I've been I've been to Milwaukee. It's Come like on, going it's to the, Cleveland. It's like the beer capital of the world. You don't think I haven't been there? Yeah, valid. <laughs> <laughs> like out of necessity, Good point. just had to swing by once. But uh, yeah, but when you're there, I mean, are they going to do enough to get you a championship? 
I mean, even if they can get in, well, we, we, I guess we could say last year, we're looking at this thing. Toronto has no chance, all, but all you got to do is survive the East and maybe you can knock off a team. Once you get there, the, the picking's right for you, but you got a better opportunity. You're going to have more opportunities. If you go somewhere to one of these powerhouse teams. And right now they all preside in the West. You have to start looking at that about your legacy going forward and what you're going to be remembered for when your career's done. Well, and that's why they're talking about completely reseeding the playoffs and doing these midseason tournaments and all kinds of crazy stuff inside of the NBA. Because when you look at the East versus the West, it's not even close. In Jargos is, is yeah, I mean there is, I mean it's night and day. It's I mean it's like they're two different leagues when you go from the East like, to if, the West. If we still did Eastern All Stars versus Western All Stars for the All Star game, I think the West would have won by sixty. Yeah. I mean, it would have been an absolute. And can you imagine? I mean, you could have a second tier Western team that could yeah. probably beat the the first selection from the East. Uh, but you know, to go back when you're talking about where we haven't necessarily seen that high impact international player making moves like that, uh, but we got to take into account there. That's look how global expansion has affected the NBA and their their reach. You know, arguably with inside the American sports structure, the NBA is the most popular around the globe. Yeah. And we've seen their tremendous influence that they had on a, a country like China, you know, until uh, some recent troubles and rough waters that have, have come their way. But I mean, the influence that they had there and, and they reach every little aspect of it because the game in itself is so marketable and it's easy to to relay to other individuals, how to understand it. You can get involved with it. I mean, basketball truly is a game that's easy for anyone to pick up and anyone can get involved in. And then you can introduce these, these larger than life. I wouldn't say stars, but just individual brands that make up the NBA and they're, they're from, you're familiar with them. You feel in tune with them. I mean, they have, they have everything there, all the ingredients for that perfect storm. So now what you want to do is you start looking more internationally and you start touching those different bases and you're going to try to find those individuals that can, you know, can tr- truly drive the game forward. But, but in doing so, the world has heard about places like Los Angeles, California. I mean, hell, we know they're down, but even, you know, New York, we don't know where the hell Milwaukee is. If you put the Memphis Grizzlies on TNT on a Tuesday night, or you put the New York Knicks on TNT on a Tuesday night, even with the Knicks being awful, they're going to draw more viewers than what the Memphis Grizzlies are going to. Absolutely. And then you take that to your international markets. And even if you're not familiar with all the, you know, all the, the teams themselves, you see, you know, if you're on the other side of the world, you know what New York is. You know the Big Apple. Yeah, nobody in Singapore knows where in the hell Memphis is. Absolutely. Yeah, makes total sense. Total sense. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Team Giannis. Even though they lost the game, if they would have won that game, I, I, I don't know, man. Like the way that this new format has been put together for the NBA where you, you got to win. Basically, you take your point total and then you add 24 to the top point total and that's the final score that you got to get to. It's like almost like you're playing a game of horse in the freaking backyard is basically what, the way that it comes out. My problem, though, is this game was won on an Anthony Davis free throw. 
Like, free throws shouldn't be allowed to determine who's going to win the game. Like, I like this in theory. I kind of wish that they would adopt it at least for the regular season and then go to the traditional overtime rules when it comes to the playoffs, kind of like hockey is done with the shootout. But I, I, I don't know, man. Just the way that this whole format worked, it, it actually played like a good basketball game. That fourth quarter was insane. I, I don't know. You know, to me, it works in here because it's, it is what it is. It's a spectacle. It's a novelty game. I don't think there should ever be conversation about touching anything with in regards to these rules, this style inside of the regular season. Absolutely not. But they're looking for something to spice this thing up. And I've, I've seen some good reviews for it. It still just didn't do it for me. Uh, and, and I know they, you try to incorporate the charities and different things like that. And, and it gives you something to kind of get reinvested in for each quarter. I guess it worked in that sense. And again, you know, that's what this thing is. It's an over-the-top spectacle. I am. I, if there's anything that you and I have been on other sides of the spectrum on, this is probably the furthest we've ever been. I don't think they should ever be, be in a conversation that you would in, include these rules in the regular season. I could absolutely get down with it, but we got to change the rule that there's no way you can win on a free throw. That's just ridiculous. No, I mean, it's still scoring. It's an important part of the game. You don't devalue that. It's, it's one of the just as important. How many times have we seen teams just lose because they couldn't hit a free throw? Yeah, you're taking away a, a true fundamental of the game. I, I, I feel like there are certain teams, and more specifically certain players, that you just – there's no way. Like, I mean, the Lakers are never going to win an overtime game in that case because as soon as LeBron gets the ball, they're just going to foul him. Okay, that's part of the game. You can't just cater these rules – because of some of – to me, they're, they're just – it's absurd to discuss this in the sense that we would actually – where you have to play to a certain point mark. I mean, this – it works in a novelty league like the Big Three, where they obviously adapted this from. Right. Yeah. Uh, which, I, which I do find entertaining, but it's, some, it's a different dynamic. We're not talking about traditional, fundamental, professional basketball. That one. Valid. And, and if you're going into that, then you can't just say, okay, only uh, because some of the league isn't, this isn't a strong suit for them, uh, then we're taking that out. I mean, you're, you, if you would have to value everything equally, I mean, at that point, I mean, okay, anyone can make a two pointer. I mean, a game shouldn't end on a shot in the paint. I mean, how, how hard is that? You have to end a game on a three pointer. I mean, why don't we just put in rock and jock rules here? Give me oh, a 25 man. point basket. I miss Rock and Jock. That shit was awesome. That was one of the best things MTV ever did. Now, I, MTV involved or not, I do think at the All Star Weekend that they should bring back some sort of remake evolution of that Rock and Jock. Man, that was always a fun time. Absolutely. Uh, one one step further on that too. You know what? I would even sacrifice my precious Puppy Bowl if they would bring back the Bud Bowl during the Super Bowl. Tremendous. If we get enough states on board, we can have a real Bud Bowl. Uh, let's talk about uh, teams one through eight in the East, the way things look right now, Rick. The best record in all of basketball belongs to the Milwaukee Bucks, first place in the East at 46 and eight. They are followed by the Raptors, Celtics, Heat, 76ers, Pacers, Nets, and Magic, bringing up the final playoff spot in the East at 24 and 31. Yeah, seven games below 500. Good enough for the final playoff spot. They would get the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round of the playoffs. 
Rick, they have not only one, but they have two teams that are sub-500 in the Eastern Conference that would make the playoffs if they started today. How can the top part of the conference be so good and the bottom half of the conference be so bad, including your Cleveland Cavaliers at 14 and 40? 14 and 40! Hey, they've already tripled last year's win total. No, one win away from tripling last year's win total. Just yes. so they're moving in the right direction here, but hey, I think the, the bigger what you're looking at, you do have some. I don't even want to. Say, I mean, they look like they're powerhouses with inside the East. I mean, how do you actually feel those top four would stack up in the West? I don't know. Playing right. You know, regularly running into that stiffer competition where you don't have those bottom feeders. And it's really those top three teams because when you get to four, you start getting to the Miami Heat, who are 35 and 19. They're 11 games back, and they've got a good team. The same thing with Philly behind them, Indiana, um, and of course, Brooklyn. The fact that they're even in this hunt is more of a case to just how bad the rest of the league is. But those top three teams, Milwaukee, eight and two in their last 10. Toronto nine and one in their last ten. Boston eight and two in their last ten. I mean, it's not like they're just playing Eastern Conference teams, you know. But looking at that, I understand it, you know. But where that's where the majority of it's coming from, right? And you have you have to play who's put in front of you. Yeah, you know, that's what I kept saying is you know when we're talking college football, with all the teams that are there and the diversity in college football, you just you beat who's put in front of you, and you can't change. You know, in a lot of ways, you can't change that. You're signed into contracts with your conferences and all that. And in professional, their schedules are made for you. You have to take care of business like that. You play who's put there and you take care of business. That's number one. And if going through that, you know, you hope, especially if you're in the East, that as, as you're doing that, you're gelling so much as a team that when you do, if you can emerge from that side of the bracket, make it to the championship, you run into one of those those heavyweights from the West, but hopefully they just came out of a, you know, just a slugfest. Haymakers, they're beat up a little bit. You can pick them off. I mean, that's the strategy in the East, but I don't think it's, I'm not sure in those top three where they exactly would stack up having to do, you know, the night in night out against those top tier teams in the, in the West. And I think that's, it's not so much of a knock on the East. It, It talks to the quality of the West in those teams. Absolutely. And the eighth spot in the West, you have the Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant at 28 and 26. Once you get to number seven, though, at the Dallas Mavericks, the Dallas Mavericks are 11 games over 500, 33 and 22. That would make them good for about fifth place in the East. There you go. And if, you know, you take away you give them a, a more favorable schedule, they'd probably be up there in your top three in these. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's now, a valid point. Now you, now you are going to see that we are done with the break. You're going to see more balance, especially, you know, on both sides because they're going to start playing more true to their location or, you know, each side of the bracket. You know, the East is going to start seeing more Eastern games in the West on the West. Right. So they're going to start balancing each other out. In the West, you have the Lakers in the one spot, 41 and 12, followed by the Nuggets, Clippers, Jazz, Rockets, Oklahoma City Thunder, 
Dallas Mavericks and the Memphis Grizzlies. Rick, there, there's a couple of teams on this list that just surprised the hell out of me. Number one being Memphis and what John Morant is doing down there. Number two is the number six seeded Oklahoma City Thunder. They lose Russell Westbrook. You get an aging Chris Paul. And suddenly this team is actually kind of fun to watch again. It's very, very clear that Russell Westbrook was the problem in OKC. Oh, yeah, he's also the problem in Houston right now. Yeah, it, it does pose a question, and I don't really want to look at an individual player and really place all the blame on them because it's about the culture around them. But, but I guess you are right, Jack. I mean, once you remove that certain piece of the puzzle and you start rebuilding, uh, then you know it has a new, a new sense, a new feel, a new vibe about it. And you have that new energy and just not from the team itself. I mean, you can see that kind of resonating throughout, you know, their, their fan base. There's a, there's a better energy that you can feel during their games. You know, obviously we haven't been the one, but even when it's televised, uh, you can, you can sense that through, you know, the talking heads, you know, the, the journalists, all of that, the, there's a new faith there and a, a, a tremendous new energy. Chris Paul was drafted into this league in 2005, and he is still averaging 17 points a game, five boards, and seven assists this season in Oklahoma City. I thought his career was done when he got sent out of Houston. Boy, I was wrong on that one. Um, Rick, I think the other one that's very, very interesting to talk about when it comes to the West is sitting in the nine spot right now, four games behind Memphis, sits the Portland Trailblazers. There is too much talent on that team for them to be 25 and 31. For the love of God, Damian Lillard was averaging damn near 40 points there for about a two-week stretch. Rick, what in the hell is the problem in Portland? Well, again, you know, sometimes you, you can have all the right ingredients. But you you mix up the mixture somewhere, the cook time's a little too long, whatever it might be. There's so many small little factors that come into play that could throw everything out of whack. And then you kind of you lose your pacing. You lose where you're at, you lose your flavor. And that's what seemed to happen there. You know, I remember, you know, throughout the season last year at this time, we're talking about could Portland be this team to go in there and, and shock the system? to emerge from the West. And, and if that maybe not this year, you got to look out for these guys going into this season and in the next season, because they've got everything put together. I wonder if they start, maybe that hype, that pressure, all of that bearing down on their shoulders, maybe just got to the, the franchise itself. Uh, but they are within striking distance. And as you said, Jargo, I mean, with all the talent there and all the capability that's one team you don't want to see, you know, hit the old NBA jam, hit those three shots and catch fire. That's the last thing that as a Lakers fan, I need. If the Portland Trailblazers are the eighth seed and the Lakers are the one seed, that's going to be a fight. That's going to be one hell of a fight in the first round of the freaking playoffs. I'd rather play John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, nobody wants to play Portland in a seven game series. And I think, you know, to speak to the talent of Portland, now, I, I think as you line it up there, one through eight in the West, th- there is no cakewalk. No matter where you're seated at there in those top those top positions, you're going to be in for a fight. But to lend towards what you're saying there, Jargo, you especially better cover your ass. You bring in a young gun 
over-the-top, thrill-seeking team like the Portland Trailblazers because they could absolutely come get you. And beyond that, I mean, if they could pick off, if it be the one, the two, whoever it is, they get a little momentum in that postseason. You know, rolling right down that road, nobody wants to run into that team. Dallas is scary, too. If they actually get Porzingis and Luka both healthy at the same time, watch the fuck out. Uh, Huckleberry, let's shift. Let's talk a little bit of NFL. We got some quarterbacks that we got to talk about. Starting off with your boy, Joe Burrow. Yeah, everybody kind of anticipates that he is going to be the starting quarterback of your Cincinnati Bengals. But, Rick, it seems like there is some controversy now surrounding Joe Burrow. A lot of people seem to think, oh, he, he's going to pull an Eli or he's going to pull an Elway. He's, he's going to force his hand and get the hell out of Cincinnati. And how we're even seeing some players that seem to be encouraging this idea now for Joe Burrow. Rick, I feel like the media has actually just completely fabricated a story in this entire Joe Burrow saga, going all the way back to your damn Cincinnati chili. I'll tell you what, this this entire situation involving Burrow, the number one pick, the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, you're, you're getting a lot of this, and you get a, a little bit because, you know, our conversations, but this thing inside of itself from from a national level to just here in Southern Ohio, it has absolutely consumed my, my entire being and not even purposely. And it is everywhere that you go here. And it has really turned into a case of, you know, this, and just like in Iowa, I'm sure. And this is through the Midwest with, with all of our towns, big or small. There's a real sense of ownership and pride to a community. And with the, the national attention and a way that you're getting a lot of these talking heads and these these well-known journalists that are, you know, going at this situation, Burrow, you know, he needs to to put his foot down. He needs to avoid going to the Cincinnati Bengals at all costs. It's being taken very personal by, you know, this fan base and those that just live in this area. I mean, it's like a personal attack. So it has turned into really around here in these parts, you know, an us versus them mentality. And I've tried to remain neutral on this thing. You know, anyone that's listened to us through our conversations on whatever platform it might be, I've been very outspoken. You know, I have great concern for, for Joe Burrow. He is a tremendous talent, absolutely tremendous talent. I mean, he, he's brought everything to the table. He had a, a career that was unbelievable, um, or a season, an unbelievable his senior season there, record-breaking. We're going to be talking about it for ages. Bringing all that, that skill set, all those tools to the pros, you just absolutely see him end up in a situation where he is absolutely destined to fail. And that's not in any way a knock on the city of Cincinnati. I love this town. It's my hometown. So many great things here. This is against a franchise, a franchise that is the absolute bottom feeder of professional sports. There are no aspirations of moving forward. They, they hope for success. You know, and when they, when this fan base here, when they, you know, were trying to run Marvin Lewis out of town, a lot of them were beginning to understand what Marvin did was absolute magic. What he was able to get out of this ownership group. We're talking about an ownership group, a family has been established since this team came into existence that was the last 
going back, Mike Brown's in charge now. Paul Brown's revered because he had a tremendous football mind, but he never wanted to pay players. His his theology was, okay, in a decade, if we go 500, we are successful. If we make a championship game, that gives us a couple years or a couple games where we can go under the 500 mark because we've covered ourselves. That is their philosophy. They maintain that to this day. It's about a bottom dollar. It's about their financial wealth just personally to them. And that's okay. They're running a business. But if you're looking on the side, if you're a fan, if you're a player, is that an environment you want to be in? I absolutely, I, I don't think so at all. And that's why you, you don't see major free agents, major head coaches or potential coaches answering the phone, taking trips to the 513 because of those reasons. And now what you're getting from these national talking heads, the journalists, you're having ex-players like a Carson Palmer, a TJ Hushmanzada. Uh, down the line, well, they're not outright coming, you know, they're not just blatantly saying they're a terrible family. Uh, you're going to throw away your career, but you know, read through the lines there. Right. Absolutely read through the lines. There's reason for concern because, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And if you're someone like Burrow, you want, you're looking forward to that next contract. You want to play seven to 10 years. You don't want to be the answer of a trivia question after five. Now, for this poor kid right now, he's in this hot seat. He's in a, a, a very strange predicament. You know, you hear all these people, well, he should draw the line in the sand, speak out and say, I don't want to go there. What does he have to gain from that? I mean, that's that's why, he, you know, him and his family, they need to play the game. Wherever you get drafted, that's that's part of it. That's part of the system. You're going to have to deal with that team at that point. You have to sign with their money. You're going to have to deal with that contract. Get the most you can have it. Hope that that you can find some success there or have enough that you can continue to move on or work out some kind of trade. I mean, you, if he comes out right now and says, no, I, I, I don't want to go there. There's nothing you can do. You're talking about a team like the Bengals that are so stubborn. They'll go ahead and draft him. Yeah. You know, he's, are you going to go ahead and sit out? Or are you going to end up signing on that dotted line to get your $60 million? And, and at that point, now you have alienated a very passionate and what can be a very rabid fan base that will turn on you in a heartbeat, that will eat you alive. So now, now you're in a no-win situation. I think he's in a no-win situation from the get-go. The problem is not what Joe Burrow said. The problem is not what Joe Burrow hasn't said. The problem is the media asking him these jackassy questions. Have the Cincinnati Bengals come out and said, yes, we are absolutely, we are drafting Joe Burrow number one overall, that there's not even a question here. No, they haven't. So why in the fuck would Joe Burrow come out and say, oh my God, I can't wait to go play for the worst franchise in the history of the NFL that hasn't won a playoff game in 30 years. Hell, it's been so fucking long since they won a playoff game. The team they beat doesn't even exist anymore. It, and it's, you know, inside of that, then they are, they're trying to look for stories and this is a, uh, an easy target for them. They want to, you know, controversy creates cash. We're, I was talking at top, you know, this off, this, this off season drama that's mirroring professional wrestling. This is right up there and controversy creates cash. So they're trying to drum up some interest inside of this story. You know, I, I hear so many of them going with, you know, he's an Ohio kid, you know, what a dream to go play in your state. 
how many before this whole thing even came about, jokingly, how many times did I say to you, I grew up here in Ohio. I know the Browns and the Bengals. I have friends that, you know, I, I played through football, friends that went on to college, all of that. They all knew if they ever had a chance to go to the league, an Ohio team was not at the top of their list for Super Bowl aspirations and Hall of Fame dreams. Right. Just wasn't going to happen. I mean, it is a reality of a situation. He already turned down. He already turned down one dream. He had to leave Ohio State because there wasn't an opportunity there for him. He made the best of that situation. And I also see, you know, some some players that that really don't know the Bengals franchise. You know, they're talking about, well, you're talking about holding out or, you know, refusing to to sign or, you know, forcing their hand in in a trade or whatever. You're going to lose money if you move down. Joe Burrow's not going to lose money. Everyone in this league know, knows his value. He's the top guy in this draft. He's going to get that contract. But on the other side, if you're the Bengals, you just can't fold. You can't fold. You can't show what you're holding and say, okay, we have to trade him now. Because then you're going to get you're just going to get garbage offered at you when those phone calls come in. Yep. Even if even if you are entertaining this, you got to get that damn highest value. Absolutely. You know, a Joe Burrow only comes around, what, maybe a, once in every five years here at this point? I still think you're all overvaluing Joe Burrow. I keep hearing this, oh, he's he's a once-in-a-generation talent. People trying to compare him to Peyton Manning and shit. He played good for one season. One season. It, 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 I've heard a, a good explanation of this because and really when he turned it on, he was already graduated. So now he mm-hmm. was in football mode. This is what his career is going to be. And this is what we saw out of him. But I, w- I do agree with you in this. You know, everybody's kind of going over the top of how important he is going to be to this league. And he is that next Peyton Manning, if you will. Well, and, and the thing is, I, like, I, when I, I look at Joe Burrow, right, and no, nothing against Joe Burrow. I think he's a fine football player. But if they're, if they're using the comparison that he is the next Peyton Manning, then what in the fuck is Trevor Lawrence? Because I feel like Trevor Lawrence is three times the quarterback that Joe Burrow is. Well, and I something else to throw out here as well, you know. And I, I think as you're talking about a man, the the media manifesting some sort of you know so that they can get their headlines, they got their talking points. I think this this really leads some credence to what you're hinting at there, Jarko. I mean, let's look at this overall. You know, we're talking about. If uh, two out from Alabama, if he's not injured, the conversation we're not we're not even talking about Joe Burrow number one. No, you know one of the the bigger questions here in this draft is which team is going to have the guts to go kit go get him to say okay we'll sit on you for a year because you are hands down if you're healthy the best athlete in this draft. I mean hell they did they didn't even think he was good enough to play at Ohio State. You know what well, I, mean? I mean? Like the, the, the depth there, you know, the, the incredible depth that you had going on there. Uh, even outside of that, w- when you're looking at inside of this draft, quarterbacks that you can go get, you know, even the kid from Oregon. Yeah, Justin you know, Herbert. I, I know there's some question there, but I mean, he's got, when you, when you look at the blueprint and when he is on, I, I know there are some questions in, in a little bit of the transition from the college game. But he's right there in that conversation. It, it's not like if you would move out of this spot from Burrow, that it's the end all be all. Like you have to completely just give up on your quarterback position. 
No, this is a deep quarterback draft. This, this is why I've been on the Chase Young bandwagon. Because number one, I think Chase Young is the most NFL-ready player in the entire draft, and you take the best player number one. But number two, like Chase Young is somebody that could actually make a difference for the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think Joe Burrow is that guy. I, I don't think it. Hey, who was that? You know, before we really dove into this, before the end of the season, I was screaming us back before the college playoffs. You know, go with Chase Young here because we're talking about what a team needs. But there, there's this fixation that you got to take that quarterback. And in some cases, yeah, that that is absolutely true. But right now, even inside this draft we're talking about, I, I still I think number one, the Bengals should go with with Chase because he immediately takes that defense into a, a top five to seven defense. He immediately makes him at least legit against a team like Baltimore. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. But to go back to the quarterback thing here, just even inside the draft, no no rookie quarterback. And this idea that they're going to bring him in and have him start is absolutely absurd to me. You're going to kill this kid. But even outside of the draft, look at this, this class of free agents. Players that are on the move at the quarterback position. I mean, hell, we're running one out of Cincinnati right now. Andy Dalton, he's got a major market out there. He could easily go find tremendous success away from the orange and black. Is there, though? Oh, there's absolutely. Well, no, I mean, I, because you bring up all these other quarterbacks that are free agents, right? So we were talking about quarterbacks that are going to be available. So you're talking about guys like, you know, Cam Newton. You're talking about guys like Phillip Rivers. Teddy Two Gloves is going to be out there. Like there are some good backup quarterbacks that are going to be available, and then you've got a very very deep quarterback draft. Like what is the market for Andy Dalton at this point? Because I genuinely don't know. Well, I, I think there is a tremendous market for him, and, and which we're relating that back to the draft. How many of those kids that come out are absolutely NFL ready? I think that he is someone you go in there and say, hey, we're going to go full two years, two-year deal with you. First year is hands down yours. Then you can compete. We'll decide on that, all depending on where they draft that quarterback at or whatever it might be. And it's about systems. You know, there's certain situations where, like a Phillip Rivers, I would take an Andy Dalton over in certain systems right now, in certain situations. Hell, your boys up there in New England, there's talk that Andy Dalton could go there, maybe come in as the backup there, but if they needed him to play, he would have success there. He could thrive under that offense. Hmm. It's interesting. I would I would like him in Chicago. He is a game manager. You put some talent around him where you're not you're not asking him to go out and win games. I mean, you, you look down there in Tennessee, Tannehill, what do he throw for like a hundred, like a buck fifty in two games? Speaking of free agent quarterbacks that are going to be available. Right. Well, in, in their what in their playoff games, he threw for a buck fifty? Yeah. So you're you're Seven looking for nine, game managers. Woo. You're looking for game managers. And yeah, he didn't get a win, but Andy Dalton's been in the playoffs a hell of a lot of times. He's played on winning football teams and very dysfunctional winning football games teams. Imagine if we could get to a, a, a franchise that actually has some idea what the hell they're doing. I don't know. I, I feel like there's a the fan bases are so impatient and so stupid these days. I mean, really, when it, it, they're stupid. Like I feel like, uh, let, let's say 
Okay, well, we, we've got the Los Angeles Chargers. They need a quarterback, right? The Chargers bring in Andy Dalton. I feel like that fan base just quits on him. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a fit. You know, going back to what I'm saying, it, it has to be a fit. Uh, I think somebody, as I was talking about Philip, if they would lose Tannehill, I think that Andy Dalton would, would be perfect there. And, and I think that he would be welcome. He, he kind of fits that fan base. He fits that community. Uh, and then knowing from the inside, I mean, he is someone that, as I'm talking about community, tremendous asset. I mean, what he does and his contributions, uh, he's a, a model citizen. He's out there working with charities. He's working with kids, uh, the less fortunate. He, he's a tremendous representative for a franchise. Uh, a Tennessee, if they would lose Daniel, I could absolutely see that. You know, talk that he could potentially, that, that there has been conversations within their system on their shortlist in New England. The Colts, you know, he's somebody that, why not? The, he's not the talent of a, of a Manning, you know, obviously, or an Andrew Luck. Uh, but could come in there and get that job, you know, get the job done for them. I think I'd, I'd rather have Jacoby Brissett. Oh, so I can see that. Well, and then the other one that they're really talking about now is Philip Rivers up there. And, and I, I actually think Philip Rivers would probably be a little bit better fit in Indy than, than Andy. Yeah, especially with the dome. Like, I, 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 yeah. I could really see Rivers loving playing in a dome. Yeah. But I think there is, you know, and it's got to be the right situation, but I think there's a market and given an opportunity, I think he could find success and we're running him out of here. Everyone's blaming everything on him. Uh, and I just sat back and kind of laughed, you know, as they benched him and it just got worse. And I said, okay, and how, and who are you going to blame now? You got rid of Marvin. You're running Andy out of here. When, when is this, this fan base, the city going to wake up and realize that sacrificing a tremendous young talent like John, like Joe Burrow, it, it isn't going to do anything. It's the franchise. It's great. You know, I'm a fan, but we, we have to know what it is. We have to realize what we're dealing with. Let's talk about Drew Brees. Uh, Drew Brees came out on Instagram here yesterday, a couple days ago, and announced that he is going to be returning to the Saints next season. Huckleberry, Drew Brees, I, I remember watching Drew Brees when he was at freaking Purdue, and I hated him then uh, almost as much as I hate him now, and that's only because he's so fucking good. Uh, Drew Brees is, is one of those guys that belongs in that GOAT conversation that we never put into that GOAT conversation. That's how good Drew Brees is. But So now he is going to return at the age of 41 to the New Orleans Saints, which creates an interesting conundrum for the New Orleans Saints because there's also Teddy Two Gloves. Do they bring back Bridgewater knowing that a 41-year-old Drew Brees could break at any given moment in time? Or do they let Teddy Two Gloves go? And where does Teddy Two Gloves end up? Uh, I think, you know, even outside before we start talking about Teddy, uh, who's the other kid? Uh, well, anyway, he he already responded. Uh, he, Hill. It was on Hill, yes, Hill. That's what it is, Hill. Uh, he, this morning, before, actually, I, I caught the audio just before we started recording, uh, he was on a one of the FS1 podcasts, and, he, you know, he was talking about this. And he said, you know, it's, you know, there was a lot of question about potentially uh, who would be the next quarterback there, if, if Breeze would move on, if he would resign. And he really embraced uh, Breeze coming back. But knowing that he can contribute, he's going to be on the field himself. Ultimately, his, his goal is to 
eventually take snaps, if it be for the Saints or somewhere in this league. Uh, but he put it, he sold it perfectly. He said, I'm still going to be on the field. I'm a playmaker. Drew Brees is still one of the absolute best. He gives this franchise and myself, Hill said, an opportunity to to win a Super Bowl. And then he'll put over, you know, one of the best ways to spin this thing. He said, why would I go anywhere else? I'm still learning and I get to sit in, I get to actually sit in a huddle with Drew Brees, one of the greatest of all time. And Brees seems like he's the kind of guy that would actually sit down and maybe teach this kid something. Like he's not Brett Favre. Well, Brees came out following the playoff loss and actually said the best player, our biggest contributor on that on the field during that game was Hill. Yeah. And put him over immensely. And it, it does, you, you do get that feeling with Breeze that he is there to to help these young quarterbacks or anybody in any position, you know, to help nurture, you know, that next wave of players that are going to represent the Saints. Now, now it brings up the question, though, with, with Teddy Two Gloves, is he growing, I guess, I don't want to say impatient, but is he seeing that, you know, right now with all these all these moves being made, is this the right time? Is he willing to make that move or can he hold out for a year or so and hope that he's the heir to the throne? Well, the thing is how much money is it going to cost him? You know? And that's another point. You know, a lot of people talk about, it was just like in pro wrestling. It was over in, yeah, it was in the Hami media discussion group on Facebook. You know, I put out there, I, it was, Oh, they were, people were mocking Shelton Benjamin for re-signing with WWE. And, and, you know, it's got a chuckle out of it. And I pointed out, you know, it's it, it amuses me when individuals immediately, they, they seem to get all riled up over, well, he doesn't get he doesn't get a push. His booking's been terrible. It's not the end all be all. This is a career in professional wrestling. They don't know what it's about. It's about financially taking care of yourself and your family, especially at where someone like Shelton Benjamin is. You know, it, it might be, yeah, oh, it would be fun, you know, to go over to AEW or maybe, you know, go to the independents where I have my creative and schedule and all that. But you have that comfort. You're working for the biggest company in the world there. That's his financial decision. So in this case, for, for Bridgewater, yeah, you know, maybe, hell, yeah, I could win a championship, but I'll be sitting here maybe next year. But financially, where where is the gain? Is it elsewhere with other opportunity? Yeah, that's that's true. And actually, this is a little bit surprising to me, to be completely honest. Do you know that Teddy Bridgewater is actually younger than Taysom Hill? I knew they were right around each other. Yeah, Taysom Hill is 29 years old, Teddy Bridgewater at 27. I just, Bridgewater has been, I, I maybe it's because he played in Minnesota too, being in the NFC North that I just feel like I've been following this kid's career for years at this point. Well, I mean, you are in a, a Vikings household. Yeah, there is that. Oh, she was so pissed when they let him go. Turns out she was right. Um, let's talk about Tom Brady. Uh, there's an awful lot of talk, Huckleberry, that Tom Brady is going to go to Las Vegas. There, It's been said that he bought a new home out there in Las Vegas, even though nobody seems to know where it is. Um, of course, we saw him uh, at UFC 246, I want to say it was, that he was standing there and, and having some words with Mikey, um, of course, now the, the, the poorest owner in all of football. Yeah, that's that's where Tom Brady is going to go. He, he wants to go play for Mikey. Um, Rick, I just don't buy this. 
Like I keep hearing people talking about this Las Vegas thing. And I think I was more on board with this a couple of weeks ago than I am at this point. I just, I don't buy it. You know, it, it again, we were talking about the media manufacturing some of these stories. Uh, is this another case of that? And the Patriots themselves, the way that they know how to manipulate things that they've just, they're sort of running with this thing and they're throwing gasoline onto this fire themselves. It, it kind of feels that way to me, um, including Mel Kuyper, uh, because Mel Kuyper came out with his latest mock draft, the Patriots picking at number 23. And they have um, the Patriots taking Jacob Eason, the quarterback out of Washington at number 23 which would make a lot of sense. I, I really, really like Eason, and he seems like he would be a good fit for the New England Patriots as like the contingency plan for a couple of years from now when Tom Brady would leave. Here's the problem, though. The problem is Tom Brady becomes a free agent on March 18th. Of course, the draft isn't until the end of April. So the issue becomes... Brady signing with the Patriots again in good faith that they're going to go out and they're going to get him some weapons. Rick, the problem is if they take the quarterback at the 23rd pick, their number one pick, they don't have a second round pick. You start getting into that third, fourth round, the top seven, eight, nine wide receivers and tight ends are already gone off of the board. What in the world are the Patriots going to do to convince Brady, yeah, I actually want to re-sign here? I guess that's the bigger question rather than this whole Vegas situation. I see your point there, but we were talking about death at the quarterback position. I mean, you want to talk about what's overwhelming is the amount of wide receiving talent that's going to be available in this draft. And I've heard anywhere up to 40 to 50 wide receivers are going to be taken over the course of this thing. While we were talking about Minnesota a little bit earlier, I think this is what the Patriots need to do. They need to get Minnesota on the phone and say, what's it going to take to get Stephon Diggs? Stephon Diggs clearly wants out of Minnesota. He's a $14 million cap hit. If you give Tom Brady Stephon Diggs, suddenly he's got a deep threat. Suddenly you can put Edelman in the slot and he's actually effective again, which opens up the running game for guys like Sony Michelle. Like they're literally just a wide receiver away. And Oh yeah. We're talking about a team that won what? 12 games last year. Absolutely. And look at from what we're used to out of the Patriots, 12 games in an early exit from the playoffs was a disappointing season. Absolutely. How, how many how many franchises and cities and fan bases would absolutely be ready to throw parades for that? Right. And it 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 is an absolute slap in the face devastation to a team like the New England Patriots. And everyone can you know you can break down how this player underperformed and how maybe they don't have it anymore. Jugger, you laid it out there perfectly. They, they might seem so far away, but yet they're so, so close. They're that deep threat away. They were Antonio Brown away. That has always been their bread and butter. You know, you go, you go back and, you know, the first one that comes to mind, I know there's been other greats in that spot, but, you know, like the Randy Moss, you catch him on the back end. You didn't need him to do too much. You didn't need him to be the, the Randy Moss, the Hall of Famer. 
All he had to do was be that threat to open up everything else for you. And then you go get those role players, those athletes that they are well known for going seeking out. You plug them into those spots. And once again, you have Patriot magic. Now, who's to say, you know, you're throwing, you know, in this, and you, we're so used to going into drafts where the Patriots just have, you know, pick after pick. Uh, they're a little short this year. All of this going on, we're talking about, you know, this, this, uh, this side attraction here with Brady. Is this like politics where they, they create this, this huge emergency over on, on the right hand, but they're pulling something with the left? Of course. What, what, are, what are the Patriots doing right now? They've got everybody up in arms. Everyone's talking about pulling their hair out. Where's he going? What's going on with Brady? Can, are him and Belichick ever going to be able to get back together? I mean, it's, it seems we've heard the same story over the last three years. It's, it's just told with a different narrative. And what continues to happen? The Patriots continue to roll. And now that they have, they have seemingly stubbed their toe here a little bit, you know they're working extra damn hard to get back to that spot. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like if, if they would have picked up Greg Olson – just released by the, the Carolina Panthers here the other day. He ended up signing with the Seahawks. He's going to be Russell Wilson's new best friend. But as soon as I saw that announcement that he had been released by Carolina, it was just like, oh, shit, he's going to New England. Because you know they're looking. They're looking for that next grunt. guy I feel bad for is Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr's just sitting there like, so what the fuck's going on, man? Should I actually move my shit out of Oakland or should I just, like, stay here? Yeah, Derek Carr is another one of those guys that we talked about that Cincinnati gig. What's the market for Derek Carr? I mean, it's kind of the same as Andy Dalton at this point, right? Like, would you rather have Andy Dalton or Derek Carr? Well, as we're talking about all of these movers and going around, Derek Carr should be up there in any conversation. God, you would uh, especially, especially for a long haul. Uh, you know, you throwing it out there uh, – Whichever show we were talking about in the last couple of weeks here that, you know, the smart move, if if you were going to lose Brady, if he is dead set on getting the hell out of there, ifs and buts, to work an NBA style sign and trade. Yeah. So that you could bring Carr in to be your next quarterback of the Patriots. God, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see the hoodie and Derek Carr. That would either be a match made in heaven or hell. Hey, I absolutely think, you know, it. If this is alienating Carr from that franchise, or you know, if they are ready to move off of him eventually, there's so many teams out there should be just chomping at the the opportunity to go get him because I mean, you're looking at to me, he's one of those standouts that you're going that's going to be effective for the next five years for you. He's going to give you that extended window inside the NFL. Two three years tops is your window. I think he gives you an extended chance there. I mean. As we're talking about people that are going to be on the move and money and all that, I mean, hell, I'd rank David Carr ahead of of Dak. Oh, yeah, for sure. And another guy that I'd put ahead of Dak is Matthew Stafford. Rick, there are reports flying out there that the Detroit Lions are ready to move off of Matthew Stafford and draft Tua. Uh, Do you think that the Lions have enough cojones to do that? Is that franchise ever made a move like that? I think the Lions ownership is bad enough. Like we're talking almost Cincinnati Bengals level 
bad when it comes to the Detroit Lions. We're talking Barry Sanders retired early to get off of this team. Megatron retired early to get off of this team. Um, Rick, the Lions are a joke. And they've been a joke for a very, very long time. The only thing that has legitimized them at all over the course of basically this millennium is Matthew Stafford. And now that he's got a bad back, the Lions are ready to move off of him to bring in the new hot flavor of the week in Tua that we don't even know if he's going to play next year? Well, okay, if we're talking about gambles here, I mean, what does put some pressure on here to really bring out the, the best in Stafford? Because obviously you're not he's not going to lose his job this year. You need to keep him in here. But he do, but he would know that pressure's there. Then if you're the Lions, then you are sitting on the the best avail, the best athlete from the 2020 class. You can keep the quarterback that you've had. You could you could then you're you got some trade power going into next year if you want to. Absolute fools to get rid of Stafford. I, I could see I could see a, an advantage to both there to both sides. Even if Stafford comes out and you know he has this great season and you still want to move over to two out, but then you then you can go ahead and you know try to get something for Stafford. I just don't think that that franchise would would be ballsy enough to make such a move. Hey, funny story about Megatron. Um, obviously you know SEC is from Atlanta. His dad, even when he made it to the NFL, his dad continued to work. He worked for Norfolk Southern Railroad. Uh, this was the same time that that my dad was a terminal supervisor and was relocated to Atlanta. And early on in his run down there, he's going through uh, attendance records and you know financials and all of that stuff. And he notices that this Calvin Johnson is – is marking off like damn near every weekend through the fall. And he calls him in and he says, you know, can you tell me what's up with this? You know, you're marking off during all these, these important shifts, you know, we need, you know, dependability out of you. You've been here. He was close to retirement. You know, we'd hate to see a termination just close to retirement. And he explains to him, he says, uh, Mr. Vickery said, my son plays in the NFL. And he flies me to every game every week. My dad had never heard of him. Oh, my gosh. My dad was married to his job. I mean, it, it was railroad or nothing. Very little. He could mix it in, like, open wheel indie NASCAR stuff. <laughs> had no, he had no idea about, you know, the, the, the traditional four. Absolutely nothing outside of that his son played those sports. <laughs> he had no idea who these people were. So, yeah, he's sitting there threatening to fire him. He's talking to, to Pops, you know. To senior, and he's like, uh, and so he dismisses him from the office, not from the job, and he says, "Okay, I understand." So my dad calls me, and he said, "You ever heard of this guy?" I said, yeah, "He's only like one of the best receivers of his generation." What the fuck? <laughs> what are you talking about? And then he proceeds, and then he proceeds to tell me the story, and I'm like, "I said, you better go fucking find that guy, and like." Give him a raise or some shit. I mean, yeah, because I mean, his dad was still down there working for the railroad, and he didn't have like some high profile job. He was still like on the trains traveling and shit. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> was going to talk about the Astros and the Red Sox this week, but we're we're running too short on time. I don't even want to get into that entire mess. We'll save that for next week. There'll be even more bullshit to talk about. Um, I do want to hit on the XFL. 
weeks one and two. Rick, I don't even care about the games as long as the games are entertaining. What I was curious about, tickets up 9% from week one to week two, which I thought that was a good number for the XFL. And then I saw the ratings numbers. Ratings dropped 35% on the ABC games on Saturday. The good news, only down 4.12% on Sunday on ESPN. So they did retain the ESPN audience overall. When, when you're looking at OTAs like ABC, ABC, CBS, NBC, it is not uncommon to see a, a sporting event drop 30, 40% week versus week. Um, but man, that 35% number on ABC for Saturday, that's a little bit scary. Yeah, that one was a little bit drastic there. And again, you have to take it into context, you know, look what's going on around it, what's what it's up against. As you know, everyone was excited week one with the, with the great television numbers and they were concerned with the gate. And now it seems to flip-flop, and I'm still going to stand by that. And I really want to sit, give this thing a month before we really sit and have a, a, a serious conversation about the potential for this league going forward. Yeah, we'll be talking a bit more about the XFL this week with Stevie Richards and Jeff Sanders. That'll be a fun show. Uh, but Huckleberry, we got to talk about this Mayweather thing. Mayweather thinks that he is the athlete of the decade when he had a whole whopping like 10 fights over the course of 10 years. And most of them were just absolute throwaway bullshit fights because that's what Mayweather took. Um, Rick, this is absolutely ridiculous. We talked about it off air last night. I think we kind of both agree LeBron James should win this. He did win this. The, the next option would be Tom Brady. And then, of course, we got into a debate of, really, you want to talk about an athlete and you're going to compare LeBron James and Tom Brady? It is a bit humorous, especially when you look back at Brady at the Combine. But, Rick, I, I, I actually pulled up a list of names of people that I would put on the list before I even considered Floyd Mayweather. Well, before you get to your list, I, all right, I, I'll jump to this thing. And yes, sir, you want to take everything to such a literal meaning. When they announce the athlete of the decade, they don't mean athletic ability. Well, they certainly don't have Tom Brady's in the running. And straight. They're talking about inside of the world of athletics, professional sports, sport, whatever it might be, the impact, the influence, your, your accomplishments, the resume that you have built, uh, the things that you have earned and achieved within that decade's time. That's what they're looking at there. So, yeah, and we were, hell, we, we probably went back and forth in a just, a, none of, neither one of us was going to back down on it for 10 minutes in a stupid argument. And then we just agreed uh, that, the, yeah, LeBron should have won. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we were looking at different uh, criteria, but yes, uh, LeBron absolutely wins this thing hands down. But I could see, you know, where you could have an argument for, you know, what Brady has meant to the, the NFL one of the most powerful sports leagues in, in the world there, uh, you know, number one in, in the West. So, yeah, I mean, Brady could be right there. Uh, outside of that, you know, as I asked you, if we went out to anywhere USA and asked random hundred people this question, even asked them, you know, let alone number one, but number three, how many of them would think Floyd Mayweather? And I thought you were being a little generous when you said maybe four. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I was definitely being generous. Um, I Some guys and girls that I would put in front of Floyd Mayweather as I, as I actually thought about this. You got LeBron, Brady, you have Djokovic from tennis. Uh, you've got Michael Phelps. I would put him in front of Floyd Mayweather. I would put Usain Bolt in front of Floyd Mayweather. Hell, I would put Simone Biles in front of Floyd Mayweather. Like, that girl is no freaking joke. Absolutely. And, and you know, to, to Floyd's, I mean, yes, he has been so dominant. But I guess, you know, if the question was who has dominated their their sport, their competition, yes. Uh, but then, yeah, who has manipulated their competition? You know, who who's avoided competition? Who irregularly participates in their competition? Yeah, I guess Mayweather, he, he wins all of those categories. Yeah. I mean, hell, you know, you know, one of the things, you know, he that he pointed towards, you know, he's like, oh, look at the cess of the McGregor fight. Well, come on. That was a that's a novelty act. That was a sideshow. That was publicity and a financial stunt. Uh, then Pacquiao. Oh, great. So the guy immediately goes into surgery afterwards. He was just trying to get through this fight because you've been dodging him for years. Yeah. Like that fight would have been so much different if it would have happened five years ago, you know, five years before it happened, that would have been a very different fight. Oh, I mean, you're, you're talking about a fight of a generation five years ago. Yeah. And, and now the way it went down, everyone dismisses it as Floyd was dodging this thing. You got your payday. Congratulations. But you, you let everyone down, you know, it, it's essentially it's WrestleMania eight should have been, Flair and Hogan, I don't care what excuse. And then when we got it years later at WCW, it, it didn't feel like it. It wasn't as unique or special. Yep, it was just too late. Just too late. Um, speaking of boxing, though, Huckleberry, to wrap things up this week, this Saturday night, it's going to be Wilder versus Fury 2. I know you're a big Tyson Fury guy. I think Wilder's going to knock this motherfucker out. That's what I think is going to happen. You got a pick for the fight? I'll tell you what, just before we just before we went on air here, I caught caught Fury over on FS1. But speak your mind, baby. Hey, you talk about someone that is made for professional wrestling that can bring all of that game to it. Man, he, he's got it. He absolutely has it. I, I can see 100 percent what Vince McMahon is in love with this individual. Hey, and that that press, that PR machine is all over. These guys are going to be making the rounds this week. The hype, the hype is getting there. I've got clients. I had two or three clients that I've got two definitely in third one on the fence about this thing. We're going to start advertising this. They believe it's going to be a draw. So I guess, you know, there's, there's people clamoring for this, which is hell. I mean, heavyweight boxing, when's the last time we've had this kind of excitement? I'm just hoping that they can go out and deliver, you know, that this thing can go a while here and it can hold the audiences. And it isn't just another massive letdown that we've, you know, sadly enough to become it's become too expected inside of boxing. Here's my problem with Tyson Fury. Number one, other than he's an asshole. When it comes to him being a professional boxer, he fights like fucking Floyd. He, he likes to, you know, just, he likes to punch you with those great big long arms. And, you know, he's, he's completely content to win by points. Wilder, on the other hand, is looking to knock this motherfucker out. I, f- I think Wilder beat him the first goddamn time. But, well, up for debate there because, you know, it was that strategy, you know, kind of sitting back and where Wilder was able to knock him down a couple times mm-hmm. is what they felt really cost Fury this match where, you know, he had pointed this thing enough 
but the stumbling and the dropping. So now Fury in, you know, the way he's presenting himself here now, we absolutely don't know what's actually going on in that game plan inside that camp. But it looks like he realizes that. And he realizes he's got to end this thing. He doesn't want it to go to decision. Doesn't want to put it in the hand of the judges. Both of these gentlemen, I believe, they want a decisive victory. They're going to be looking to put the other down. Is there anything better than big money boxing? When this, I'm saying, and when you can get the excitement like this and you're generating a buzz from the masses, it, it takes you back in time, doesn't it? I mean, can Man. you remember? I, I remember growing up and the excitement, like my dads and my uncles and all their friends, like for a big Tyson fight or something like that. Anytime Tyson would fight, anytime. Whether it was Tyson, whether it was Holyfield, whether it was Foreman at right. the end of his career, I mean, for it, I, I remember that even a little bit early on in like the Lennox's run. Yeah, Lennox Lewis, you betcha. You know, and it, it was like the spot to be. You know, who's having the party or who's got HBO? Yep. And you sit around till past midnight. You know, just waiting for that big fight to go. Yeah, and, and it's so funny because you watch, like, the preliminaries and there's, like, you know, 15 people in attendance and you can, like, literally watch the crowd just file in and by the time Bruce Buffer would get to that main event, let's get ready to rumble, there's 30,000 people in there just losing their freaking minds. I think championship boxing is a spectacle, man. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, you think... You think Laker fans were bad? They're like, hold our beer. <laughs> we're waiting to the absolute last minute to get in there. No, no, that's that's much more like Miami <laughs> Heat fans. I mean, they, they don't even show up until after halftime. No, that's the team. There is that too. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com, Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com. You can keep up with me across all social media platforms at Not Targo. RBV, how do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks keep up with you? Well, if you happen to be in the, uh, the Southern Ohio Southeast Indiana, Northern Kentucky area this weekend. Stop by and see me at Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. We got a, a double shot pro wrestling extravaganza Friday night at the Blue Note in Harrison, Ohio. Saturday night at the Aurora Community Center over in Aurora, Indiana. We got a stacked card, man. Uh, kind of headlined by uh, the big man, Ben Hamin's tag team partner, Congo Kong. We also got the show. The uh, Suplex Shogun, Jackson Stone, Ricky Morton from Rock and Roll Express. He's going to be there. Plus, uh, some of the area's absolute best talents. If you can't make that, though, you can keep up with me, Rick Vickery, across all social media platforms at The Real RBV. We will talk to you at some point this weekend for an all new edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. And Monday, back in the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya!